listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. Welcome to the show. My name is Eric Daw. This is the Fret Files Podcast, the Guitar Workshop Podcast, uh, the Guitar Repair, Guitar Building Podcast. You know, I, I had some friends of mine tell me when I started doing this that, that I should call it uh, the Luthier Cast, but I didn't like that. I don't know. I don't like the word Luthier. I guess that's what I am. People call me that, and I don't correct them, but it's I, I really don't care for the word luthier it's like like i should be wearing a big funny pope hat or something you know like luth luthier it's too close to lutheran or something like i'm a <clears throat> like i need a big robe a big red silk robe so uh this is the guitar workshop podcast not not the luthier cast even though we will discuss Luth- lutherans <laughs> <laughs> Not actually. This is my lovely wife, Melissa. Hello, everybody. And uh, she helps me with the questions and whatnot. That's why I'm here. We're sitting here in front of a nice warm fire. Yep, drinking wine. It's nice. Yeah. And a smoking jacket with a big, yeah. big cigar. Nice glass of brandy. I'm just kidding. I don't smoke, Mom. I don't drink brandy, Mom. Actually, my mom doesn't listen to the show. I wish that she would. Uh, I told her about it. <clears throat> you know, I mean, she does not care about guitars in the least. In fact, she thinks any music that where the guitar is overly pronounced is is obnoxious. You know, she can't handle it. She likes the Beatles. She likes stuff like that. But anything where there's like solos that are over the top, you know, that's not, she's not into that. She thinks it's awful. Well. Yeah. So she doesn't care about guitars, but she does care about her son, and her son is the host of this show. So I thought she might enjoy listening, just, if nothing else, just to see what her son was talking about, but I couldn't get her to listen. She could be listening right now. You never I doubt know. it. It could be 10 years from now, and she decides she likes guitars. Maybe. And now she's listening, and she's like, oh, Well, yeah. she doesn't need to like guitars. I mean, I, well, I told her about the show, and she, she sounded excited. She was like, wow, really? A, like a radio show? I said, yeah, kind of like a radio show. She said, well, what time is it on? No, Mom, it's a podcast. Like, you, it's on the computer. It's on the Internet. You have to, you have to download it. Download it? Well, I... I don't want. I can't do that. I don't want to do that. That's all involved. You know, Mom. It's not that difficult. You go to the website. You go to fretfiles.com. You click the link, and it just plays. 
And she said, "What? what's a link? Yes, she did, actually. She said, what's a link? Well, what if I click the wrong link? I don't want to get a, a computer virus. Well, that is a <clears throat> that is a danger. I know, because right next to the link where you play the podcast, there's a, virus there's a link with a dangerous virus, which is, I mean, it's really the whole point of this podcast is to try to upload a computer virus to my mother's computer. Well, so far... There has not been success. Yeah, I but know. I know. It's keep trying. It's a really roundabout way to do it, but yeah, I have to keep trying. Yeah, but my mom doesn't care about guitars or guitar repair or guitar music or basses. Even she doesn't even care about a bass. I mean, that's nobody low. cares about a bass. <laughs> Everybody cares. About... Speaking of basses, have you seen this article? In the latest fretboard journal about the super rare Explorer bass? Uh, not until you just showed it to me right now, wow. but it looks awesome. One of the rarest basses on the planet. I, you just can't believe it. I mean, I didn't know that any of these existed. You know about the, um, the late 50s Gibson uh, really futuristic guitars like the Explorer and the Flying V, oh, right? Oh, yeah, totally. They're made from Carina wood. They didn't really catch on. There were very few of them made. They're worth hundreds of thousands of dollars because there were so few made. Well, there were apparently, there were two special order bases. So there are two wow. of these that exist. One, I think, I, I read the article. I don't remember now. I think one is missing. And the other one is right here. And... It's, I don't know, it's probably worth a half a million dollars. Well, it's super cool. It is super cool. Even for a bass. Yeah. <laughs> I guess some people do care about basses. I mean, $500,000, that's like, if you're going per string, that's like $125,000 per string. Yeah. That's some pretty How quick math that? you're doing there. Thank you. Uh, but they're made out of Karina wood these uh these late fifties uh futuristic Gibsons. It's like an African mahogany. I don't think anybody calls it Karina except for Gibson. It's African mahogany, I think. Hmm. Yeah. I think Karina was like a marketing word that they came up with, if I remember right. Anyhow, that's in the Fretboard Journal. The latest issue is issue thirty three. If you don't subscribe to the Fretboard Journal Really, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I mean, it's... Get on it. It's $40 a year. And it's worth it. It's a beautiful magazine. My God, it's... You, you'll be amazed. <laughs> I'm thumbing through it right now, and I just want to stop the podcast and just read this. Uh, I'll put that down and tell you to go to fretboardjournal.com and subscribe um, to their magazine. It's a quarterly magazine. <clears throat> But it's unfair to call it a magazine. It's really a beautifully done publication. It's really like a book. Each issue is like a like a book. It's beautiful. You know, the Fretboard Journal does a podcast as well. It's the other coolest podcast on the planet. About guitars. Right. Ours and theirs. Jason Verlindi, the publisher over there, does the uh, Fretboard Journal podcast. It's cool. It's really cool. I've been catching up on old episodes, and he interviews some of the most interesting people. Guitar builders, guitar repair guys, 
guitar players, just musicians. Really an interesting podcast that you should check out. You probably already do. So, hey, I'm just wasting your time. That's that's what I do here. You should participate in the program. If you go to, uh, I was going to say go to fretfiles.com, but that's not where you, that's where you go to listen to the show. Fretfiles.com. But if you're listening to the show, you already know that. Unless, of course, you subscribe through iTunes, which is great. Unless, of course, you subscribe by going to ufoship.com. It's a very convoluted, roundabout way of doing a podcast. Fretfiles.com. Fretfiles.com will get you there. But if you want to participate in the show, please go to ericdaw.com. My name, E-R-I-C-D-A-W. Click the contact link to send me an email with your comment or question, and we will use it as part of the show. I can't do the show unless you participate, so please do. The other way to participate is to call, and I took my lovely wife's suggestion and wrote it down on her laptop right here, and the number is 757-774-8482. You call that number, you leave a message, I will play the message on the show and answer your question, or whether it's a comment or question, or whatever. You know, I also found out you can text that number. Nice. Yeah, so you could text a question or comment to the show, 757-774-8482. That way, if you're, say you're stuck in traffic and you're thinking, like, oh my gosh, that is the perfect question. I need to ask Eric that. You don't have to wait to get Nothing. home. Nope. You just text. Text it. Text the number. Save the number to your phone right now. Yep. Text the number. I won't even get notified until I go to check my email, so you're not going to bother me. It could be 3 a.m. Text me. 757-774-8482. I also post usually several pictures about each episode on our Facebook <clears throat> Maybe someday I'll have this all in one place, do you suppose, that no. that would be a good idea? Let's have 17 different websites. Why not? Yeah. Uh, if so, if you find us on Facebook, there are usually a few pictures for each episode. Plus, I'll give you updates, and I post little things and news, bits of information. Maybe a picture of me, or, you know. <laughs> Those are the best. Yeah. You can't miss that. So, participate in the show. Otherwise, I will stop doing them. No, not really. I'm going to continue doing them. If you don't send in questions, I'll just make them up. Or I do. Yeah. And it's really good when I make them up because I know nothing about guitars. So, let's read this month's made-up questions. All right. <clears throat> we get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. Uh, here's the first one. Hi, Eric. I am so glad you are continuing on with the podcast. I am too, Dave. I was curious about your opinion on wood types for tellies and the differences in tone. Also, do you plan on discussing amps on future podcasts? Regards, Dave. Thanks for the question, Dave. You know, it's one of those questions that is a hotly debated um, topic different wood types and the different tones that they get. Some people 
absolutely swear that an alder telly is going to sound a certain way and an ash telly is going to sound a different way because of their structure. And I can see that. I can totally see that. Um, ash is a lot more porous wood, so it has kind of pockets of air that alder doesn't have, so it is bound to resonate differently. Um, so, yeah, I think that there are some differences. I mean, there's pine. I've made pine telecasters before that um, I really felt like they sounded pretty different from an ash or an alder telly. Uh, kind of a... It's hard to... It's hard to even... It's hard to even describe a tone, you know? Um, but at the end of the day... <clears throat> Here's how I look at it. At the end of the day, if you were to blindfold me and hand me two Telecasters, one after the other, one is Alder and one is Ash, I really am quite certain that I would not be able to tell you with any confidence which one was which. And so, yes, I think it matters, but it's so far down on the list of things that matter as far as as how it affects your tone on a Telecaster, that's what he, he specifically mentioned tellies, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. It's so far down on the list. And look, it, people will disagree with me on this. There are people who make guitars who I know will disagree with me on this. But look, let's think about wood for a second. Wood, by its nature, is is inconsistent. Right. Two pieces of alder are not identical. No two pieces of wood are identical. So you could have two ash telecasters that sound a little different because the wood is a little different. I mean, ash especially varies a lot. Uh, it can be very porous uh, and very, very light, or it can be dense and heavy. So two ash telecasters might sound... Uh, more different than each other than an Ash and an Alder Telecaster. I mean, I it's just, it's really, really uh, kind of this tone navel-gazing that everybody gets into about how, what little tiny minute details, and I, I mean, yeah, the wood type is more than a minute detail. The original 50s tellies were Ash, so I prefer Ash, but that's really because I like the grain pattern, and um, the alder alder doesn't have the nice, the beautiful grain pattern that ash does. So I prefer ash, but only because I like the way it looks. Again, if you handed me an ash and an alder telly, would I be able to tell you the difference if I were blindfolded? I really don't think I would. I would be able to tell you which one I like better, but I don't think it's going to have anything to do with with what kind of wood it was made out of. So I don't know. That's that's my take on it, is that it's um, kind of insignificant, but it's one of those things that's debated. I mean, there is a debate raging on the Internet right now as we speak. Guys typing furiously back and forth to each other about which one sounds better and why, and how they sound different. And so, I don't know, because, you know... Everybody has a different opinion on it, so really, <clears throat> it's one of those things that uh, is hard to answer. Um, but if you 
have an opinion on it, you should send me an email and tell me why I'm wrong. Uh, Dave also says, do you plan on discussing amps on future podcasts? I suppose so. I mean, I, I haven't really thought about it because uh, I'm not an amp tech. I'm a guitar tech, and I am willfully ignorant of amplifiers. I don't want to work on amplifiers. I give my amps to an amp tech. I know a little bit, I know enough about electricity that I could potentially work on them if I really wanted to get into it, but I have never, ever wanted to do it, and I think the reason why is because they will kill you. I mean, they... Dangerous, they, yeah. It's very dangerous. They have, so an amplifier, even not plugged into the wall, stores enough electricity in the filter capacitors to stop your heart. Well, that's not good. No. That's the opposite of what you want to happen. Anyway, that's not really what he asked. He wants to know if I plan on discussing amps. Probably. I mean, I don't I don't have any plan right now, but we might eventually interview a amp tech. I think that I think that'd be a fun discussion to have. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I asked actually I asked my amp tech if he wanted to do it. Um and he kind of said no. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Which is okay. Burn. That's fine. Well, that's okay. It's it's understandable. He yeah. does he doesn't want to be bothered with it, so I understand. Anyway, thanks right. for the question, Dave. All right. <clears throat> hey, Eric, love the Fred files. Do you have any opinions about so-called fifties wiring versus modern wiring in Gibson guitars? I recently did the fifties mod to my Gibson ES three thirty three. Must say, I'm pleased with the results. Honestly, though, after listening to your capacitor discussion in the last podcast, I'm wondering if the 50s mod really made my guitar sound better, or if it's just wishful thinking on my part. Chris. Yeah, Chris. Well, um, the 50s wiring uh, versus modern wiring, my understanding is that uh, it is a little different. Um because it changes the way that the volume and the tone controls interact with each other. So as you turn the volume down and as you turn the tone down, uh, they actually are interplaying with each other because they're wired together. And how they're wired together makes a difference. So 50s wiring versus modern wiring, there are slight differences. Um, I think... My understanding, though, is that with all the knobs on 10, which is how most players play, that it really isn't any different. So it de I guess it depends on the differences that you noticed. If you thought it sounded different with all the knobs up to 10, um, I don't know. I, 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 don't th I don't think that it makes a difference. I haven't done a ton of research on it, and I haven't um, sat with two... Uh, similar Les Pauls, one one with 50s wiring and one with modern wiring, to see if there was much of a difference. And, and really, it's hard to tell because guitars can vary so much. So, yeah, I mean, th this is another, of course, this is another one of those things where, you know, you know, somebody taught me something once that I thought was very useful, and that is this. The player has more to do with tone than the guitar. That's just all there is to it. Really, really good guitar players can pick up pretty much any guitar and plug it to 
just about any amp and get a good tone out of it. Um, I know that that's, that's an oversimplification. It has to be decent gear, but uh, I'm a fan of a, uh, a blues player up here in the Northwest <clears throat> named Henry Cooper. And Henry, for years, played a telly and plugged into a basman, plugged into a Fender basman, and I thought, wow, that telly through a basement, that's the tone. That's the sound, man. That's amazing. Little did I know that it was Henry. Because since then, and this was about ten years ago that I met Henry, since then I've seen him play a dozen different guitars or more, and a dozen different amps or more, and every time he sounds like Henry. He has amazing tone, and it's unmistakably Henry. Like, if I hear a, f a couple of notes, I would know that's Henry Cooper. Same with Jimmy Vaughn. You hear Jimmy Vaughn, and your brain goes, Jimmy Vaughn? Man, that's the tone. How does he get that tone? Well, Jimmy Vaughn's using a Mexican Stratocaster, his, a cheap Strat that Fender made... Uh, the Jimmy Vaughn Signature Strat. It's it's really a cheap guitar, and uh, it's a stock Fender Mexican guitar. I actually I I worked on the guitar he played when when he last time he came to Seattle. I worked on his guitar that day, and I looked at it. It's a Mexican Strat. It was no big deal. And then I went to the show, and he played it, and it blew my mind. Totally blew my mind. His tone was amazing. So I I don't know how much guys like that obsess over things like capacitors and wiring and tone woods. I mean, I've seen Henry Cooper play Dan Electros and Telecasters and uh, Guilds and you know, just you name it. I've seen him play Gibsons. They all sounded like Henry Cooper. So I don't really obsess about stuff like this so much anymore, but that's not to say it's not important. I mean, it's good to have good quality components and good quality guitars and but i really believe that the player has more to do with the tone than uh the gear very nice yeah thanks for the uh thanks for the question chris although i don't know if i really answered it <laughs> uh, i went off on a tangent no, that's yeah, okay yeah, this yeah. is your podcast i you guess can, so you can do whatever you want yeah. all right hello eric what is the simplest, least invasive way to get an out-of-phase tone in the middle switch setting on my 2012 Gibson Les Paul Standard? It has two Seymour Duncan humbuckers with a four-conductor cable. I don't want to put a push-pull switch in it if I don't have to. Thanks, Aaron. Uh, thanks for the question, Aaron. That's pretty easy. Um, the least invasive way is to just swap a couple of wires and hardwire it so that it's out of phase. Um, on your uh, on your four conductor pickup cables, there's going to be a a ground wire, a bare ground wire, and then a plastic coated wire going to ground, and then another plastic coated wire going to the hot lug of the pot, and then there's two wires that are taped off together. Um, what you want to do is switch the ground wire and the hot wire to reverse the phase of one of the pickups. 
if that makes sense. The bare ground wire or the... No, the bare ground wire always stays uh, connected to ground. Oh, okay. So on a four-conductor pickup, there's actually five wires. It's misleading. But on a four-conductor pickup, there's actually five wires. There's a red, a white, a green, and a black. And then there's a bare wire. The bare wire always goes to ground. And then depending on the brand of humbucker, unfortunately, there are a, so many manufacturers, and unfortunately they all use a different color code system. That, and I don't think he says what... Oh, Seymour Duncan. Oh, okay. So with a Duncan, the red and the white are taped off together, I think. And then the um, green is going to ground, and the black is going to the hot lug. And in order to reverse the phase, you take the black and the green and reverse them. So the black now goes to the back of the pot, and the green goes to the hot lug. The red and white wires still stay taped off together. They're soldered together and taped off and just taped off. Um... I think that's right. You might want to double-check a schematic before you go uh, messing with that, Aaron. I always double-check and look. Uh, because, again, there are so many different pickup manufacturers that I cannot remember, just off the top of my head, all of the different color codes. They all use different color codes, or a lot of them do. So, um, But you only want to change that on one of the pickups. Don't change both. That wouldn't do anything then you're changing the phase on both pickups and and what you want to do is change the phase of just one of the pickups so that they're out of phase when they're on together and then in the middle position on your switch they will be out of phase when you're on either pickup by itself it will still sound just like it did before but in that middle position they'll be out of phase with each other and the beautiful thing about a Les Paul is that if you drop the one of the volume knobs down just a hair, it's still got this cool out-of-phase sound, but it starts to bring the bass back in just a little bit. So if you just turn down one, just one of the volume knobs just a hair, just until the bass comes back in, um, you can really experiment with that and get really good different tones there that are still out-of-phase, but approaching in phase yeah anyway that's the least invasive way to do it if you don't want to do a push-pull switch um if you don't want to do a push-pull pot that's the way i would do it that's easily um undone if you don't like it and it's uh uh yeah it's a it's a cool tone to have so yeah thanks thanks for the question aaron Very next nice. dear fred files podcast I have an 80s made-in-Japan made Strat that I really love dearly, but I've taken the neck on and off so many times that I think the mounting holes in the neck are really fatigued because I can't get the neck screws tight enough anymore. The neck wiggles a little in the pocket, and I can't get the screws tight enough to make it stop. I thought about just getting bigger screws, but what would you suggest doing to fix the problem? Thanks, and I loved the discussion about tone caps in episode mm -hmm. 8. You saved me 50 bucks. <laughs> Thanks, Charles. Right on, Charles. A believer. You know, Charles, I'm glad you brought up the capacitor thing because I gotta tell you, 
that I have been, and I'll answer your question in a, in a, in a minute, but I've been branded a tone capacitor denier on the internet. <laughs> I took our results from <clears throat> the, uh, the lie detector capacitor box and uh, all the tests that Michael Swizzler did on that box. And I uh, went around to some different forums. I went to a guitar builders forum on Facebook and I went to a couple of a pickup forum and, and, just confronted some people with that evidence, and um, I gotta tell you that probably three out of four people um, disagreed with me and were vehemently uh, in, in disagreement with me, and they swear up and down that they hear a difference. Well... And just for fun, I printed out some of the things that they said to me. And uh, there are really some good criticisms here. So wh- do you want to read some of these criticisms? Sure, yeah. Then we'll get, back to, we'll get back to your question in a second, Charles. But I, I forgot about this. Let's, let's... All right. So uh, Gabe said, Eric, I'd recommend trying a high-quality cat before making claims that they don't work. Yeah, funny, Gabe. That's real funny. Obviously... Didn't hear a thing I said, didn't read a thing I said, because I t- described the box that I built, I posted the podcast, right? You would think that Gabe would know. Well, some people I... are just stuck in their ways, you know? Boy, I'll say. <laughs> I mean, this is like, I feel like I'm trying to conv- convince people that the earth is not flat, and it's like 1600 well, the Earth is flat. Okay. From where I'm standing. Anyway, what else? What other criticisms right, uh, did I get? Todd said, "Electrons may be electrons, but how a cap responds to frequencies is all in its materials and construction." I consider myself a bit tone deaf, and I can tell the difference in stock junk caps and anything better. I use orange drop caps in my builds and custom work. It is very subjective as to what is good tone or bad. Change out the caps in one of your guitars and record playing something with the same setup each time you test a cap, then go back and listen. If you didn't notice a difference while playing, you will when you listen to your recording. I have... How do you even... You know, I built the box so that I could do exactly what Todd's talking about, tested different caps, and then I've put it in front of a bunch of different players, nobody could tell me which cap was the nice one. No. Here's, here's the deal. If you hear a difference between a paper and oil cap, let's say, and a ceramic capacitor in your tone circuit, if you hear a difference, then that difference is huge because human hearing compared to uh, audio test equipment, human hearing is far inferior to any tests we can do, right? I tested five caps of different materials, Todd. Different materials. Ceramic, mylar, paper and oil. There was no difference in frequency response. So if you hear a difference, it should be very easy to prove it. 
That's all I'm asking. I have proven my theory here. If you disagree, all I want, I would love to be disproven. I would love it. I would love it. Submit to me. Repeatable audio evidence that tone capacitor material makes a difference in tone. And I will gladly be disproven. Gladly. You can't do it. People have tried. And every time they've tried, they've come up with exactly what I came up with. I mean, this if you search on the internet about um, t- tone capacitor testing, the only people who are saying that it makes a difference, you, you'll find maybe a, a guy on YouTube with a ponytail and a Les Paul, and he plays a riff, and then there's an edited-together video. He plays a riff and then says, then this is a different capacitor, and then he plays a riff. Okay, anybody who knows anything about playing guitar knows that just how you pluck the string makes a big tone difference. So there's no, there's no, that's not a, that's not a repeatable, reliable test. Just his, just his preconception about how the cap is going to sound will make him play differently. That's not scientific at all. Anyway, I feel like this is all for naught. I'm not going to change anybody's mind. No, you're not. It's, that's, that's the whole deal. Uh, this next one is my favorite because he, he really gets into the, the trolling the trolling arena, you know. Uh, Seth said, Obviously, if anyone is claiming that high-quality parts are the same as low-quality parts, they have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> you can post any random internet proof, and all it means is that there's a sucker born proof. every minute. Proof, in quotes. Yeah, quotation. You can post any random internet proof. <laughs> Now, okay, this is where it gets good because he insults my husband here. He says, now go plug your Epi Garbage LP and your Behringer Stomp box into your Line 6 Spider combo. Thank you, Seth. Thanks, Seth. I don't claim that high-quality parts are the same as low-quality parts. Obviously. Obviously. I like good-quality caps. I'm not saying I don't. Good-quality caps are going to last longer. The, the leads are better. So, you know, a, a really junky cap, sometimes the lead just pops right off. A good quality cap has better leads. They're, they're, they're better constructed. They'll hold their value better over time. They'll hold up to soldering better. I don't like them better because they sound better. That's all I'm saying. I like them better because they're better quality. And that being said, you can get a good quality cap for a buck or two. Not 50. If you're paying 50 bucks for a cap, you're just getting ripped off. I'm trying to help you. Anyway. All right. So Joseph says, yeah, the only reason for argument here is that no two human beings on this planet have the same hearing capabilities. Which is why we used a extremely precise and expensive piece of audio testing machinery. All right. That's true. Oh, and this one's good, too. Jim says, tone caps mean everything, and everything is in caps, so you know he's really serious right. about it. When you're talking about caps, it's best to use all caps. All caps, right. Right. My business revolves around it. Jim said, tone caps mean everything. My business revolves around it. 
well, obviously he doesn't have a dog in the fight. I mean, there's an objective opinion. Yeah. Right? Right. Please, I'm not even going to comment on that. <laughs> and I had two pretty supportive comments. No, three. Uh, let's hear those. All right. Butch said, nobody can pick up an unknown guitar, fiddle with the tone control, and tell me what cap's inside without taking off the back plate. I guarantee it. Totally agree, Butch. Thanks, Butch. Ezra said, that's a good name, by the way. Ezra's it is. a good name. Remember that. I pay an extra 50 cents per cap because they look a little better. I have yet to pick up a guitar and say, it's okay, but if I changed the cap... Ah, Ezra, the voice of reason. It's so refreshing. It's like lemonade. Thank you, Ezra. <laughs> and Jason said, I'm convinced there's no way anyone could hear five ten thousandths of a decibel difference. That's right. Jason's my friend, Jason. Jason, oh. You know Jason from Idaho? Yeah, totally. Jason's cool. Jason is cool. And here's the deal. He used to buy expensive tone caps and bring them to me and have them installed in his Les Paul. And I tried to get him to use the test box. And he said, mm, no. <laughs> he didn't want to be, uh, you know, he didn't want to be convinced of anything against his will. Right. Well, nobody wants to be wrong. Yeah. So he listened to the podcast objectively with an open mind. Good for you, Jason. I know. God bless you. I love it. Anyway, if you still think I'm crazy, that's fine. How about what Seymour Duncan has to say about it? Ooh. On Seymour Duncan's website, there is a, uh, a blog about capacitors. And there's a picture of a bunch of different capacitors. And the text on the picture says... The capacitor value matters, but for guitar tone controls, the type of capacitor does not. How do you like that? Thank you, Seymour Duncan. I mean, is he enough of an authority? In the same blog, it says, uh, actually, you know what? I don't think Seymour Duncan actually wrote the blog. I think one of his, <laughs> one of his lackeys wrote it. But it was approved by Seymour Duncan. All right. I'm sure. It's on his website. The same blog post says... About that capacitor type doesn't matter statement. Them's fighting words in many online forums. <laughs> You'll often see the inclusion of some rare mojo capacitor cited as a selling point for a particular product. Yeah. My advice is, if someone tries to sell you anything based on cap type, proceed with much caution. I now strongly believe that cap type is of no importance, at least in guitar applications. Disagree? Don't argue. Supply me with repeatable audio evidence of how the same circuit sounds before and after swapping cap types, and I'll happily admit I'm wrong. Isn't that what I just said? Yeah, almost verbatim. I mean, I think that's why. But he says, Mojo is a fascinating word. It originally meant a magical talisman or amulet. Nowadays, it's used to refer to an abstract special something. Talent, charisma, whatever. A remarkable quality that's hard to define but impossible to miss. And in the world of do-it-yourself electronics, it has an additional meaning. Total BS. Very nice. I know. I mean, look. You don't have to take my word for it. Just, uh, if you want to try the capacitor test box, and you're in the Seattle area, come on down to Emerald City Guitars, and, uh, and tr I'll let you try out the capacitor test box. 
You tell me if you hear a difference. Anyway, that was a nice diversion. Huh? Yeah, let's get back to uh, Charles' wiggly neck. Oh, yeah. So Charles has an 80... 1980? 1980s. 1980s yeah. Made in Japan Strat that the neck wiggles in the pocket. Yeah. Um, there are two solutions that come to mind, Charles. One would be to dowel the existing holes with dowels and uh, wood glue and then re-drill the holes. Um, but I actually had the same problem on my favorite telly uh, because I took the neck on and off so many times that I couldn't get a good solid connection anymore. So um, what I did is I put machine screw inserts on the neck heel and then I use machine screws to attach the neck on and off. And that way, when I take it on, take it off, I'm not fatiguing the wood any longer. They're these really great um, inserts where the outside diameter of the insert is a pretty hefty wood screw, and you screw it into the neck, and then they're hollow, and the inside diameter is a uh, machine thread. And then your neck screws are machine screws that thread into the inserts. It's really slick. It's what I did to my personal telly, and that's what I would suggest doing. But it's definitely it takes a certain amount of skill level and definitely takes the right tools and the right um, inserts. So if you, don't, if you feel squeamish about doing it yourself, take it to a competent repairman to do it for you, Charles. But that's what I would do. In fact, that's what I did on my personal guitar. And that does it for the questions. Thank All you right, cool. so much. And again... If you would uh, like to participate in the podcast, I would love it. If you would, please send a question to uh, go to ericdaw.com, click the contact link, send me a question, or leave a voicemail or send a text to 757-774-8482. There you have it. All right. We'll uh, take a break, and we'll be right back. See you later. Files podcast is sponsored by Emerald City Guitars. Emerald City Guitars is the Northwest's premier vintage guitar store. In fact, it's uh, one of the world's most well-known guitar stores. We specialize in vintage gear. I say we because, hey, I work there. I'm the repair specialist. I've been there for uh, 13 years now, and uh, I do all the all the customer uh, repairs and all of the. Um, a lot of the restorations that happen on a lot of the gear that's that's uh, for sale there. You should check out Emerald City Guitars website if you haven't. EmeraldCityGuitars.com. You will be astounded at the inventory. It is it's really amazing, and I'm I'm blessed to work there. It's an awesome store. Uh, you should check it out. So, Emerald City Guitars, check it out. a couple of good calls to play this episode, so let's get right to it. Hi, 
Eric. Greg here. You had my telly in your shop last week install the four-way switch. And for the two middle positions, we did an out-of-phase for one of them and then a modified out-of-phase where we had a resistor in the circuit to retain some of the base. And um, just was curious as to what specifically was done there and the science behind it. Was it just does it reduce the amount of output from the neck pickup, or what exactly is, is going on there to to do that? Thanks. Bye. Yeah, it's a great question, and uh, it's kind of an unusual way to wire a Telecaster. It's a it's a schematic that I came up with. I've I've never seen it anywhere else, but um, I like to use that four way switch. That it's a pretty popular switch to use in a Telecaster, but normally the way that it's wired is the two outer positions are the neck and bridge pickups. And then the two middle positions, one is series and one is parallel. So you've got the standard normal middle setting, and then you've got the series setting, which is a humbucker setting, to give you a humbucker sound so that you can get a humbucker sound with a normal telly with two pickups. I like to use the four-way switch to do a different thing because I'm so crazy about the out-of-phase sound. That's I, I like it a lot. So um, I use it to get two different out-of-phase sounds. One truly out-of-phase and then one out-of-phase but with a capacitor uh, or actually a resistor. <clears throat> pardon me. A resistor uh, in the circuit... Uh, to decouple the pickups just a little bit so that it brings the bass uh, frequencies back into the to the tone just a little bit. So um, still out of phase, but just like we were talking about with the question earlier with the Les Paul, it's a lot like um, turning one of the volume knobs down on your Les Paul just a bit. Uh, it's a way to wire your Telecaster so that you can uh, get that sound, an out-of-phase sound, and then an out-of-phase sound with one of the pickups de-emphasized just a little bit by using a resistor. It's something that uh, I've never seen published anywhere, and I've thought about putting together some kind of little booklet about... I've, I've probably come up with about a dozen different ways to wire uh, specifically Telecasters and Stratocasters. Uh, different ways to wire them that I've never seen anywhere else, so I've thought about maybe compiling, you know, Eric's secret book of of, uh, of uh, Strat and Tele mods, but I don't know if I'll ever get around to doing that or not. So, um, but, yeah. I, it's something that I do on my uh, pinup guitars, the guitars that I make, which you can see at pinupguitars.com. Uh, I use different wiring in there to, you know, to get different tones. I guess I just wasn't satisfied with the old-fashioned, boring way to wire them. Uh, so yeah, anyway, thanks for the question, Greg. And, uh, yeah, appreciate it. Hi, Eric. Can you explain the concepts of DC resistance and... Uh, resonant peak as they relate to uh, to guitar pickups. Thank you. Yeah, I think I can. DC resistance is uh, measured in ohms, and in a pickup, DC 
resistance uh, is dependent upon a couple of things. The thickness of the wire, of the coil, of the pickup. So a pickup is thousands of turns of wire. And uh, that wire has a thickness. Um, the thicknesses are, uh, the most common ones are 42 and 43. Uh, that's uh, American wire gauge. So 42 AWG would be a pretty common thickness for a pickup. And then, so the thickness and how many turns of wire is on the coil will dictate its resistance. There's also things, factors to consider, like how tight the coil is, uh, if the wire was stretched a little bit when it was uh, when it was wound, when the pickup was wound. If the wire gets stretched a little bit, that can increase resistance. But yeah, DC resistance is just a measurement of um, the resistance of the coil in ohms. And it's measured in thousands of ohms, like a real standard... Uh, Fender pickup might be 6,000 ohms. Um, and it relates to uh, resonant frequency. Uh, resonant frequency is just the, um, the frequency that that particular pickup emphasizes most. And as DC resistance, this is generally speaking, as DC resistance increases... Uh, say you've got more turns of wire, the the resistance increases, and the resonant frequency decreases. So the more turns of wire that two similar pickups have, say one has more turns of wire than the other, the one with more turns will have a lower resonant frequency, if that makes sense. Basically less treble is what I'm trying to say. Um, but it'll depend on, like I said, it'll depend on pickup construction, it'll depend on the gauge of wire, it'll depend on the number of turns on the pickup. It really gets a little bit complicated, but um, it's a pretty good way to tell kind of uh, how a pickup is going to sound if you know the DC resistance and the resonant frequency. But, uh, I don't know, it's not always super accurate. I mean, it's it's hard to tell just by looking at a few numbers what that pickup is going to sound like. So really, I suggest that you hear a pickup before you uh, commit to it, but that's not always possible. You know, it's uh, uh, there's just a few things, uh, a few guidelines like DC re resistance and resonant frequency to, to consider. Most pickup companies don't even mention resonant frequency. It's something that I see Seymour Duncan... Uh, lists the resonant frequency of every pickup that they sell on their website, which is pretty cool. But, um, yeah, it's only one factor to consider. So I hope that that answers your question. Thanks for participating in the podcast. And uh, take a quick break. We'll be right back with some guitar news. <laughs> Well, the news is that they're uh, 
is no news correspondent anymore. Womp womp. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, it was an, it, it, it wasn't really my decision. I, uh, really appreciate Red's participation in the podcast, but if you noticed, we did not do a news segment last month. And apparently she's not going to be joining us any longer on the podcast, which is fine. I uh, uh, gave her some suggestions and gave her some options, and the option she took was to no longer do the podcast. And that's fine. And she did an awesome job. She did? Yeah. But, uh, so I thought about, well, you know... what. What I actually suggested was um, I thought that it would be easier for me if she would pre-record a news segment, a 10-minute news segment, and then send it to me, and then I could splice it into the podcast, take some of the pressure off me, right? But she, I don't think she wanted to do that. And the other suggestion I had was that I wanted less emphasis on certain stories and more emphasis on other stories and... She said, no thanks. So, I'm sure there's no hard feelings, right, Red? I hope she still listens, too. Yeah, well, we still love her. I know, she did an awesome job. Yeah, she did a great job. She really did. Maybe she'll uh, say, hey, I want to do the news again someday. I hope so. Yeah, me too. I thought about asking somebody else if they wanted to do it, or even a listener, even if maybe somebody out there really, really wants to do the news segment. I don't know. I don't know if I want to do that or not. For now... If there's some news, we'll cover it. Um, I figured we'd do a couple news stories today. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Do you have a news story you want to... Yes, I do, actually. I have several. Oh, hey, yes. oh, wow. Uh, well, guitars are... They, they've been They're in the news. In the news. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, that's the other thing. Here's the other thing. It's like, this is a podcast where people um, might find it two years from now and then binge listen so do they really care about guitar news from two years ago like it's Ty- tony iomi's birthday in february 2008 well obviously they do care because they're listening i guess so right? i just i really thought maybe guitar news is a, is a dumb well i think these stories are very important and will remain are. important for the yes, next they are. probably It'll be interesting. thousands of years. We listen to outdated talk shows all the time. And they're always entertaining. Okay. Go for it. All right. So Les Paul's original Gibson Les Paul is going up for auction next month. Wow. And I think that is really cool. Uh, it's I'm, like the prototype, huh? The Black Beauty prototype. Yeah. So I'm uh, I'm going to read a little bit of the article from theguardian.com. Uh Black Beauty solid body guitar, which belonged to lauded guitarist and luthier Paul, is due to be sold by an auction house February 19th in New York City. Paul owned this first all-black gold-detailed Gibson from 1954 until 1976 before handing it over to a friend and fellow instrument maker, Tom Doyle. And Doyle apparently doesn't appreciate the gift because he's <laughs> auctioning the Gibson from his own private collection alongside an original model of Chet Atkins' Gretsch electric guitar known as Dark Eyes. And that sounds pretty cool, too. If Les Paul gave me that guitar, I would sell it in a heartbeat. Well. Not that I wouldn't appreciate the gift, right? Right, but you appreciate but the money more. At some point, you have to say, hmm, 
if I had that much money, would I buy this guitar? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, that might go for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right, yeah. So um, in the article, it says the highest price paid to date was $965,000. For a single guitar? For a single guitar. Uh, Bob Dylan's mm. Fender Strat that he... F- played at his performance in the 1965 really? Newport Folk Festival. I thought that there were guitars that had fetched over a million. Apparently not. Well, maybe this is this says electric guitar. So maybe yeah. maybe an acoustic. I don't know. And this is a uh, Guernsey's auction house yes. doing doing this auction, the same uh, auction house we talked about a few episodes back. I guess it's been at least 6 months now. But, um, yeah, they're going to auction off a very uh, historically significant Les Paul. Yeah, uh, it says there is no pre-auction estimate for the guitar, but it's, I, I feel like it's going to go for a lot, and I'm really interested yeah. to see how much it goes for. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. So, February 19th will be uh, an interesting Let's day. Let's guess. Uh, I don't know. Let's uh, guess. Why don't you guess? You're You're more knowledgeable. My guess... Well, ten billion dollars. No. Uh, <laughs> so what year is it again? Uh, it well, it's a prototype. Yeah. It's uh, he owned it from 1954, so I assume it's a 1954. Les Paul's prototype. Les Paul. Yeah. Um, it's an it puts that guitar in an interesting category because everybody wants a 58, 59, 60 Les Paul standard. Not everybody wants Les Paul's prototype. It's arguably it's not as good of a guitar. But it's much more rare. It's rare, but that's only one factor. There's also demand. Yeah. So rarity is a big deal here. Condition is not such a big deal because it's a uh, one of a kind. Right. Even though it looks like it's in pretty good condition. But the uh unknown factor is demand. So what's your guess? My guess is $120,000. Oh, I think it's going to go for more than that. Yeah? I think it might go over 400000 Wow. That's really? just my guess. My completely uneducated, I have no idea, but, I, you know, I could the be guitar way low was on named that. after him. I could be way low on that. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, it's a pretty, it's historically pretty important. Yes. In yes, my opinion. it is. Yeah, you might be right. But, you know, let's compromise and say quarter mil. All right. That's that's the official guess of the Fret Files podcast. I'm going to go with under a quarter mil and you're going with over a quarter mil. All right. Okay. What's on on the bet now? Because you pancakes. No pancakes. You have to do laundry. (laughs) No, (laughs) I like the pancake idea. All right. If I win, you make me blueberry pancakes with buckwheat. All right. And if I win. Then you get the pancake of your choice. What do you want? Strawberry mm. pancakes with whipped cream? Anyhow, I'll, have, I'll have to get back to I you. I thought we were doing the news. Yes, we are. <laughs> um, <laughs> How so, about this story? Yeah? The, uh, the smokestack from the original Gibson factory in Kalamazoo, Michigan is scheduled to be torn down. There's a smokestack. It's, a, it's an old... Old building. You know, when I saw when I first saw the picture of the building, I thought, "Gosh, that's too bad that this building is abandoned." <laughs> Apparently, it's not abandoned. It just looks like it's abandoned. But 
Kalamazoo uh, Guitars. Kalamazoo Guitar Company is there, and Heritage Guitar Companies is in the same building, and a few other businesses, apparently, but it's the old Gibson factory, and it has a huge smokestack, brick smokestack, and in the bricks it says Gibson going down the smokestack. Apparently it's in bad shape, and they want to tear it down. It's leaning, it's in disrepair, and it still stands as of today. It was scheduled to be torn down January 12th, but uh, the f- the paperwork was filed incorrectly. So it says here, this is from MLive.com. MLive must be Michigan, huh? Kalamazoo, Michigan? Sure. It says here, as the demolition plans were already in process at the time of purchase... Plaza Corp. stated the owner stepped in to request that the smokestack bricks with the iconic Gibson name be retained as possible for future use during the redevelopment of the building. So they're apparently they're going to try to save the bricks and maybe either... Well, that's cool, though. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, I don't know if they're going to try to rebuild it or what. If nothing else, they could sell them as souvenirs or something. And it's certainly a landmark. Yeah. They placed the cost of restoring the smokestack at approaching $800,000. Holy cow! It's a bit much. Yeah, that's, uh, I think I would tear it down too. I mean, I feel like you and I could do it with some mortar and. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe, I would, I think, I would think that 10,000 bucks, that would be like, man, we got it made. <laughs> Approaching $800,000 and stated that a failure of the structure poses hazards to human life, the building structure, the smokestack itself, and the roof structure. Hmm. Preservationists and Kalamazooans. Kalamazooans are worried about losing a visual piece of the city's industrial history and have been concerned that Plaza Corp, a property management and development company, will demolish or dismantle the 70-foot smokestack that rises out of the 225 Parsons Street building. The 134,000-square-foot building, which is now the Kalamazoo Enterprise Center, was the home of Gibson Guitars from 1917 to 1984. On the Save the Gibson Stack Facebook page, Plaza Corp stated that the smokestack has been in need of restoration for more than a decade. Hmm. A city official said he expected a representative of Plaza Corp to file for a permit to demolish the smokestack, although he said he was told the structure would be dismantled brick by brick rather than be destroyed. Yeah, okay. Oh, well, that's cool. I, yeah. I hope they save it. Yeah. If they can't save it, I hope they save the bricks. Maybe they can auction them off. Yeah. I don't know. Totally. Something. Or rebuild the darn thing. Or I don't know. Something. Yeah, I, I feel like they could probably tear it down and rebuild it for less than $800,000. Don't you think? I think that's... Ins- who who that's, quoted them that price? That sounds about right for... for yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, look... Everything's a scam, right? right? I mean, this sounds like a real no-bid contract kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, let me see here. Carry the one. 800000 That's my That's my estimate. <laughs> anyway. All right. So we have one more uh, news story here, and it's pretty cool. If you fly a lot and if you're a traveling, traveling musician, it's awesome. Uh, Congress orders airlines to let you carry on your musical instrument. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, normally you have to chuck it in the baggage where it 
you know, anything could happen to it, right? Yeah. And that's that's not good. Uh, so this story comes from the Fretboard Journal. My favorite. Yeah, they're awesome. And uh, so the legislation is the Federal Aviation Administration. Wait, Congress actually did this? Yeah, Congress did it. I mean, Congress can't do anything, right? No. But now they... They have an approval rating of like uh, tw- 8%. It says in this article 20%. Oh, that's higher than I thought. Yeah. Uh, but it's the Federal Aviation Administration Modernization and Reform Act of 2012. Say that five times fast. No, thanks. Okay. Uh, and let me read it for you. I'm not going to read the whole bill, just the little paragraph about it. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> An air carrier providing air transportation shall permit a passenger to carry a violin, guitar, or other musical instrument in the aircraft cabin without charging the passenger a fee in addition to any standard fee that the carrier may require for comparable carry-on luggage. Hmm. Wow. But there's got to be space in the overhead bins. That's the That's the, that's catch. the kicker. There has to be, it has to fit in the bin, first of all. Yeah. So it can't be like an upright base, okay? Right? Yeah, right. And then it has to compete with all the, you know, the sandals Jamaica baggage and the the duty-free booze and the Right. all the fur coats that the Hello Kitty backpacks. Right. Yeah, I always try to get if I'm if I have a guitar with me, I always try to get on the plane first. Yeah, you got to push the old ladies out of the possible. way and Yeah. Knock down the small children. The blue hairs and the crumb snatchers. Right. Yeah, that's cool, though. So you said 2012? Yeah, so... Well, what's uh, the deal? The The act was actually passed in 2012, and then the FAA had two years to uh, oh. get their ducks in an order, you know, in, in, in line. In an order. In an order. Uh, oh, the slow wheels of progress. Yes. So they finally have done that, and starting early March of this year, you will be able to uh, kick some luggage out hmm. of the... The overhead bins if you stuff a guitar in there first. Just after I'm going to the NAM show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a good thing that I don't need to take a guitar with me. I'm sure there'll be plenty there that you can, you can yeah. play. I need a guitar vacation, man. Guitarcation. Guitarcation. You're in guitar jail. I just, all day I guitar about guitars. All day. I spend all day guitaring and guitaring. He gets up and goes to work and guitars. No, first of all, I trip on guitars. I get out of bed, I trip on amps and guitars. That's literally. We don't have enough room (laughs) for all of his amps. And that's a different story. Uh, I'm not going to talk about that now. Then he gets up, he goes to work, he works on guitars all day. Then he comes home, we have dinner. That's true. We put our baby to bed. Then he goes and works on guitars. In the backyard shop. In the backyard. And actually, sometimes... Uh, we he plays a song for our baby. Like, so that's a guitar. So that's a guitar. So pretty much morning till night. Right. And then on all our, the time. On our night off, we do a podcast about guitars. Right. It's all right. I like it. I like guitars. I'm looking at five of them right now. They're awesome. They're works of art. That's the thing about a guitar. They really are. Aren't they beautiful? Yeah, we have them hanging in our living room like like they are pieces of art. And they don't, I mean, they don't get played as often as maybe they should. But he guitars all day, so I, you know, and uh, I don't, pieces of art. Yeah, and I don't mean to complain. I love my job. I do. But like I said, I am going to the NAM show, and I am flying, but I don't need to take a guitar, so I guess this doesn't really apply to me. But I do fly occasionally with guitars, and that's nice. I can 
I can bring it with me on the plane. I hate checking a guitar. I won't do it. Well, it, it you know, they lose baggage all the time, and then you get it back, and it's like, I don't even know what they do to it. How can they lose it so badly? Oh, and it's then, awful. Like... Well, and I see it all the time because people fly with guitars and then the headstock gets broken off and then they bring it to me. And they say, you know, so-and-so airlines just apparently just threw my guitar across the uh, Unreal, man. The room and, and now the headstock is off the guitar. And so I see it all the time. Yeah. I see it all the time. I wonder if so-and-so airlines ever... Oh, the sometimes damages. they do. Sometimes they do. They do. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. Good, at least. I guess so. But a guitar with a repaired headstock—that's a compromised guitar. Yeah. It can't be unbroken. I can I can fix it, but I can't unbreak it. So. Well, that's that's the next step in your in the level of of work that you do. That you have would to learn how to unbreak. That would things. require a level of physics that reaches that would reach alchemy. <laughs> I I don't think it's possible. That's like that's that can only happen in like Dune. Or yeah, Harry Potter. <laughs> Harry Potter. You need yourself a magic wand. I think so. Oh, that's the news. Yep. And we are out of here. <clears throat> Thanks so much for listening to the podcast and participating. And if you like the podcast, tell a friend. Why not? Tell my mom to listen. Give her a call. <laughs> Uh, if you want to participate, you really should go to ericdaw.com, click the contact link, send me an email, I'll use your question or comment as part of the show, or call 757-774-8482, you can also text that number and participate in the show, and then you'll hear your nifty question read, or I will play your question, uh, on the show, and, uh, yeah, you'll, you'll love it. You'll be the envy of all your friends. Thanks to the Fretboard Journal. Thank you so much to Michael Van Dieven for giving us a home on the internet. And thanks to you for listening. Also, a big thank you to my wife, Melissa, for joining me here on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Also, thanks. Big thanks to Emerald City Guitars. Thanks, everybody. Good night. We'll see you next month.